listening to Resurrection Life with Pastor Nathan Trice. Welcome, friends and church family, to a slightly overdue episode of Resurrection Life. Uh, There has been a lot going on for me uh, this fall, and I'm afraid I've gotten a little off stride in terms of podcast production, Uh, but I'm going to try to make up for that uh, by tackling some pretty big parenting subjects in the coming weeks. So glad to have you uh, back with me. Folks, it seems like the right time in this series on Christian parenting to speak to the broader education of our kids. Uh, So that question uh, that becomes a pressing issue for parents after only a few years of parenting, what kind of schooling am I going to provide for my child? So up until now, we've been uh, following a, a narrower focus as we've talked about the instruction of the Lord. We've been considering ways in which we teach our kids about their Father in Heaven, about how to have a relationship with him through his son, about how to live in a way that's pleasing to him all our lives by his spirit. And clearly, that focus on teaching our children to love and fear God, uh, that's our highest priority. Whether or not they ever become high school graduates, whether or not they even learn to read uh, and write, we must teach them uh, the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. But having said all that, Uh, Folks, let's remember that Christian parenting does aim higher than just getting our kids to heaven. We want to raise children who will be formidable opponents of God's enemies here on earth. We want children who will become uh, mighty men and women uh, in David's army. Of course, I have in mind uh, the greater David now, our Lord Jesus. Uh, We want children who will eventually take their place in the great work of the church, in advancing Christ's kingdom, uh, so that his will is done more and more on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, That's the sense, of course, of that militant metaphor for children in Psalm 127, like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Uh, Friends, your children are being likened there to weapons. Uh, Arrows are for use in battles. Uh, They're weapons employed in the defense and the advance of a kingdom. Uh, We are certainly, as parents, uh, seeking to ensure that our children are on the right side of this fight, but we're seeking more than that. We're also seeking to equip them to be part of the fight uh, on the Lord's side as we sing. So in order to do all this, our children uh, need to be equipped with an education that's broader than the Bible. They need uh, life skills that will eventually enable them to take their part in subduing the earth, providing for their own families and for the needs of the larger kingdom. Uh, And they're going to need educational tools that will enable them to be, in a maximum way, uh, salt and light in our world, to be able to think well uh, and to speak well and to solve problems Uh, and to create, and to lead others in doing all the above. So I don't think I need to argue this case any further. Um, I'm certainly not going to, in this podcast, parents across a whole spectrum of perspective agree on the importance of securing a good education for the children. But here's the question that I'll take up 
today in the first of several episodes on education. What is the relationship between that broader education of our children and our Christian homes? And specifically, what are the advantages of making one the base of operation for the other? Now, of course, uh, I'm speaking of, uh, now of the homeschool option, uh, one that's presented to every Christian parent, at least in our society uh, today, and uh, this is a subject that's near and dear to me. May I indulge in a little bit of um, testimony at this point? Uh, most of you listening will know uh, I speak to the subject of homeschooling uh, from experience on both ends of it. I'm a recipient of homeschooling in my childhood days, and I'm a provider of uh, homeschool education with my wife uh, for our own children in years past. So I think you can deduce from those facts, I'm a fan of homeschooling. I believe in it. Now, uh, not everyone who was homeschooled is a fan of homeschooling, and eventually I want to touch on some possible reasons for that. Uh, But I sure am, Uh, and it has everything to do with the parents the Lord gave me who made their home a school. Uh, My parents were among some of the earliest home educators. That's actually the expression my dad preferred to use rather than homeschooling, which I'm using in this podcast. Uh, They began homeschooling there in Southwest Virginia in 1981. And that was very near the beginning, at least, of what became the homeschool movement uh, in America. I was the oldest uh, of their six kids, and eventually all of us matriculated from their home school, first started in the early 80s. Now, uh, as I say, uh, back in those days, uh, a homeschool was quite a novelty. I lost track as a young person how many times I had conversations with friendly folk in the community or what have you that went something like this. So, uh, where are you in school, young man? Well, sir, I'm homeschooled. To which the answer came, really? What is that? And then some variation on, I didn't know you could do that. Indeed, actually, um, in those early years, there was some ambiguity in the laws in various states. My parents were uh, deeply invested in the process of uh, securing clear legal right to homeschool and very grateful um, for the eventual laws that acknowledged the right of parents to teach their kids at home. Uh, But that was then. Today, no one seems to have never heard of homeschooling. It's quite clear, thankfully, across the country that, yes, you can do that. Parents can do that. Uh, The state of Virginia did eventually require a name for our home school. And uh, since our country home and the uh, county of Franklin, Virginia, uh, was boarded by the Blackwater River, which, uh, despite its ominous-sounding name, was the scene of a lot of frolicking for Trice kids during the summers. Uh, in light of all that, my parents, I think it was probably my dad in particular, named our homeschool the Blackwater Academy. And as I say, that uh, academy had six graduates, my three brothers, my two sisters, uh, and myself. I'll wrap up my testimony this way. My childhood home was quite traditional. My father was the breadwinner. He worked in construction all his life. Uh, He was quite active uh, in charting this homeschool course for our family and 
particularly involved in defending our right to it in those early days. But my mother uh, was the primary day-to-day educator in the home. I have fond memories uh, still of sessions with my mom there in the house in my homeschooling. And along with that many um, and a widely varying set of outside-the-home educational opportunities that my mother uh, secured for me. I do call my mother blessed, not only for all the educational investment that she made for me uh, and for my siblings, but all that she continued to do as a tireless tutor uh, in the larger homeschooling community where I grew up. She became uh, the educator par excellence uh, and uh, was quite a resource, uh, and to this day is among homeschooling families. Priscilla Trice became indeed a, a household name in many home schools in that part of Virginia. So that's my background, my friends, as I talk to this subject of the homeschool. And in this podcast, I want to outline the reasons why I chose to carry on the homeschool tradition in my own home, uh, drawing on my own experience of being on the receiving end of home education. Um, I speak as a parent, but I also speak by now as a pastor in a place of observing a great deal of home education over the years in our congregation. Uh, And I want to speak to some of the key advantages of a homeschool education. Now, I want to be clear. I do not speak to the advantages of homeschooling in order to stake the claim that it's the only faithful educational option for Christian parents. I've never believed this. I do not believe it now. Um, I'll just accent that by saying this. My wife's father, throughout her childhood, uh, was the headmaster of a traditional Christian school, and her experience there with her siblings was a rich blessing in a way very similar to my own. And I I will salute my father-in-law as well for his leadership in what was a movement that preceded the homeschool movement, uh, the Christian school movement in America, and one that I continue uh, to see as a tremendous asset to the church in the midst of uh, so much decay in our culture. I do not lay out here a case for homeschooling as someone who's blind to its liabilities. Far from it, um, I've had a front row seat from which to observe some of those weaknesses of the homeschool model. And so, actually, after laying out in this episode uh, why I'm a fan of homeschooling, I want to follow up with an episode on what I consider to be some of the pitfalls of homeschooling and how parents who choose this model can be mindful of uh, of those pitfalls and uh, avoid them uh, in their own uh, work with their children. So today... I'm going to be the enthusiast about homeschooling next time. Um, I'm going to sound more like a Dutch uncle uh, talking to my fellow homeschoolers. So why would I commend the homeschool option to my fellow Christian parents? Well, friends, it has everything to do with all that I have already been teaching about the biblical priorities uh, that Christian parents should have. Three things I want to say. Number one is this, the homeschool can shield our children from worldly and defiling influences when they are least equipped to resist them. Now, as I record this podcast, 
our society uh, is still grappling with the after effects of the COVID-19 pandemic. And one of those after effects is the impact on our public education system in America. Uh, Not only were uh, many children quarantined at home, unable to meet for in-person classes with all the educational costs that are suffered by that, but as their parents became involved in those makeshift at-home online instruction um, uh, efforts, many of them didn't like what they discovered about the education that their kids were actually receiving. So as a result, I've heard multiple reports of nationwide surge in homeschooling. And this is due in part to a parent's, uh, to many parents' desire uh, to shield their kids from um, all manner of influences, particularly in some cases progressive liberal agendas uh, that they realized uh, were coming to them through the classroom. Now, friends, I think that is a fundamentally sound parental instincts to want to shield children from such worldly and defiling influences. I do think that over the last few decades, it has been one of the most visceral motives that Christian parents have had for turning to homeschooling. Um, Parents in any number of ways are responsible to do this. They're to turn off the sewer flow of corrupting influences in their children's lives, whether that's the raunchiness of popular entertainment, uh, the vacuousness or uh, worse of social media, uh, the insidious influences that come in certain kinds of educational models. And uh, this is uh, right uh, straight down the center line of what we as parents are responsible to do uh, with our children. I've been, I have been bemused um, over the years at a critique I've heard of the homeschooling movement. It's the accusation in one form or another that goes something like, you're just trying to shelter your children from the real world. Well, uh, it seems like it's becoming more and more obvious that the right response to that, at least for starters, is, and your point is. (laughs) The so-called real world Uh, is becoming an increasingly corrosive thing, is it not? Not just for our children, for all of us, but especially for those who are most impressionable, our children. And there is to be something of a strategic shelter uh, that we provide for our children uh, as parents. Since when did that that become a, a negative concept, especially when there is so much that's profoundly destructive Uh, that's happening happening in the lives of children who are unsheltered uh, from the larger society. Isn't that what a Christian home is, in part, supposed to provide? Uh, A place of protection and shelter for when they are most vulnerable and impressionable? I am not suggesting that our children are merely to be sheltered from the world. Indeed, I want to talk further about how they're to be equipped to take their place in the world as men and women who are salt and light— But you will have no success shaming me for seeking a kind of shelter from those unfriendly elements for my children. The illustration that I have heard and used since the 80s is that of a greenhouse. Greenhouse plants are not supposed to 
stay forever in a greenhouse, they end up, hopefully, uh, in your yard, for example, in your landscaping. Uh, But they start in a greenhouse because that's the environment that best serves their growth and their strengthening in the most fragile season of their lives. Our children do need to be prepared to engage the forces of evil in the world, but they need to be properly matured and prepared for that, uh, lest they become, in the larger battle that the church is fighting with the world, uh, something um, like cannon fodder. Uh, As I read the news coming from Ukraine and Russia's ill-conceived war there, uh, there's uh, much talk about Russia throwing fresh recruits uh, into the battle lines there in Ukraine. They're hastily organized, they're ill-trained, they're under-equipped, and they have become cannon fodder. Wise Christian parents will recognize that their children's preparation for engaging the world does require a certain amount of temporary, strategic shelter from enemy fire. In the process, they're sheltered in order to be equipped to take their place eventually uh, in the battle. I am speaking uh, of this this way, and I could elaborate on it even more because I feel so strongly about it, not just as a dad, but as a pastor. I feel strongly about parents who send their children as, quote, missionaries uh, into worldly settings at ripe ages who are then shocked that their children were not the ones ultimately proselytizing. They were the ones proselytized. Let me just remind you, brothers and sisters, before our children can speak prophetically, as we want them to, to a culture that calls good evil and evil good, they need to get grounded in the right-side-up culture that home and church provide, uh, especially as we see that which is upside down in our culture. Our children need to uh, learn in their homes and their churches uh, that sin is not normal. Righteousness is normal. Homeschooling can be an asset to biblical parenting in this area um, to shield them for at least a time from those most destructive influences that undermine all this formative work uh, that parents are doing. I'll acknowledge I don't prefer to see this first um, asset of the homeschool as the sole reason for homeschooling on Christian parents. Sometimes it can be a very strong reaction to some bad experience a child has in another educational setting that launches a family into home education. I don't prefer that that remain the sole reason for homeschooling. I uh, acknowledge that. But on the other hand, I do not stand in critique at all of those whose homeschools are launched, at least, for this reason alone. James, in the New Testament, gives us this classic definition of true religion. It's to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So parents, if you see your children suffering under defiling influences in their current educational setting, well, homeschooling is a worthy consideration for that reason alone.
So number one benefit in my list of the homeschool, the homeschool can shield our children from worldly and defiling influences when they are least equipped to resist them. Number two, the homeschool can effectively preserve the primacy of parental influence in the lives of our children. And I hope you can see this is the mirror image of the first of my points. I've used this expression at Resurrection of the Years, the primacy of parental influence. And here's what I mean by that. Friends, by God's grace, there are many good and wholesome influences in our children's lives, in uh, our communities, certainly in our churches and beyond. But it is God's design that we, as dads and moms, be the primary influence on them. In other words, that our children have first and foremost an eye or an ear for our own instruction and example. Proverbs derives this point home uh, in many passages. Uh, Chapter 1, verse 8 says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. This is uh, pointing out where the primary influence should be in a son's life. If your young adult child is asked, um, young adult offspring is asked, who's been the most influential person in your life? Uh, Their answer ought to be fairly automatic. Well, my dad, uh, my mom, of course. The only hard thing about that question ought to be, well, which of the two? And of course, um, ideally, that is an impossible uh, question to answer. They're both primary influences. But my friends, this primacy of parental influence doesn't just happen. It doesn't just happen by eating from the same cereal box every morning, by just being in the same house. It has to be cultivated, and it has to be maintained in intentional ways by faithful parents. And one of those ways is the stewarding of other rival influences in our children's lives. Now, here... I'm not actually even talking about bad influences per se, as I was a moment ago. Now, folks, I'm talking about influences, however wholesome in themselves, that can become rivals to our own parental influence. So let's just consider for a moment the influence of peers. Um, Consider with me how powerful that is for well, for all of us, to be sure, but especially for our children, and even in the best of educational situations. So even when that traditional classroom, for example, uh, is full of Christian classmates led by a Christian teacher, uh, it is important for parents wisely to factor in the influence of those peers on their children uh, relative to their own influence. And it's important for parents to be realistic and proactive about preserving the primacy of their own influence. So take a seven-year-old in a traditional school setting uh, for 35 hours or so of every week, coming under the influence not only of a mature and godly Christian teacher, but also the influence of those 20 or so other seven-year-olds with all their uh, uh, immaturities and the like, Uh, and in some cases, um, uh, 
something uh, far worse than immaturity. I'm going to have something to say uh, next podcast about how valuable peer interaction actually is for children, uh, how it actually becomes a great asset to Christian parenting. But remember, I'm talking here uh, for the sake of my illustration uh, of a seven-year-old, or if you will, a nine-year-old. And I'm reminding parents uh, that your children are never more susceptible to that peer influence, especially that negative peer influence, than just there. Our children, uh, from a very young age, acquire a keen interest in knowing and responding to what others think. And it's our job as parents to preserve a trust and a confidence in what we think uh, as their parents. Because, well, you're the one called by God to rear them in the instruction of the Lord. I say these things, brothers and sisters, because I do think uh, that parents with children in conventional school settings can be naive in this area. They can assume that though children will spend the best and the majority of their waking hours outside the home, they will still somehow find the influence of their parents in that home most compelling to them. They assume that. I've talked to many parents whose, for example, influence in their teenagers' lives is being eclipsed by the influence of their teenagers' friends. And many times that influence has come to be exceedingly unwholesome. And my suspicion has been that this pattern began very early, even when peers were relatively innocent. But mom and dad couldn't compete with that omnipresent influence, virtually, of friends in their children's lives. So, the influence of friends came to have primacy. And eventually, as is the case many times, it became a destructive kind of influence. So, parents, whatever educational option you choose, I take this opportunity to say, you must preserve the primacy of your own influence. That looks like being aware of what they're being taught. Uh, Even when they are in solid Christian schools, it means interacting with them on it and providing your perspective as necessary on it. Uh, It means watching them closely as they navigate the influence of peers and counteracting the negative influence with your own counsel and perspective. It means, above all, uh, cultivating relationship with your children at every stage of their lives talking about everything under the sun, as we've already been thinking together about. I do believe uh, that one wise and well-timed conversation with a teenager can offset a great deal of peer influence, but only if there's been a relationship of trust and open communication that's been established between that parent and that teenager. So every Christian parent is responsible to preserve the primacy of their own influence in their children's lives. And that job is made more urgent, I submit, uh, in certain educational settings. So in light of all this, I hope it's become obvious why so many Christian parents see homeschooling as such an asset in this objective of preserving the primacy of parental influence, especially in the early years when so much foundational discipline and instruction is needing to take 
place. There is no mistaking the power of parental influence that comes through sheer time spent together. The homeschool provides this time for mentoring influence uh, in spades, you might say. Whereas the lifestyles that very often surround traditional schools can lead families into uh, something approaching bankruptcy uh, of this together time that's so important for influence. Uh, Many Christian parents start homeschooling after experiencing this very thing. They never see their kids. They're losing their relationships, not to mention their influence. Friends, I have uh, done a lot as a dad uh, to sharpen and to direct the parental influence of our home. But may I say here, it's my wife, it's Ashley, through hours of mothering, modeling, and teaching that forged that influence. I'm unabashed saying it. I wanted a homeschool for my kids in order to maximize my wife's influence on those children. I married a woman whose wisdom and character I wanted to see replicated in our children by God's grace. Why would I send my seven-year-old off for the best hours of the day for something less than that? I'm my father's son in this regard. I see it the same way he saw it. I married well, and I want my children to have the full benefit of that, not to mention my own uh, heightened fatherly influence in our homeschools. So the homeschooling model gives parents, you might say, a tailwind for all they want to do. God has not only called us parents to be the most influential persons in our children's lives, he's put us in an ideal position to have this primary influence, and we Uh, need to be intentional about preserving and making the most of that influence. Homeschooling can be a powerful means of doing that. You take spiritual instruction, such as we've been talking about in recent episodes, blending that together with academic instruction, all the forging of relationships and deepening of those relationships over long hours together, speaking of weighty matters, and you have in the homeschool model something that is very much a strength to the hands of what all Christian parents are seeking to do. So, secondly, the homeschool can effectively preserve the primacy of parental influence in the lives of our children. Number three, and this will be my uh, final point in this episode, the homeschool can provide children a tailor-made education in the hands of the most devoted of educators. Now, as I say that, every educational setting, uh, the teacher-student ratio uh, is something of great importance to the quality of the education. My kids uh, received over the years various kinds of college promotional literature, and some of those colleges uh, brag, for example, about their small classroom size. That's because there's only so much attention that a teacher has. And the smaller the class, the more attention per student. This is quite an asset for an educational institution. Well, friends, it's hard to beat one-to-one or one-to-two ratios that can be achieved in a homeschool. Uh, So a mother spending one-on-one time with a child learning to read, to spell, to add, to subtract. Uh, Pedagogically, there's something very potent about that. And 
uh, there's something more here than just class size that is the advantage of the homeschool. There's also the motivation of the teacher. The teacher is, after all, only as good as his or her enthusiasm for what's being taught and uh, love for the students and desire for them to learn. Haven't we all had teachers who were very clearly uninvested in the teaching enterprise? Uh, that's uh, an exercise in misery often to be in that kind of a setting. But conversely, friends, who is more motivated to see a child learn than that child's parent? Um, no one's more eager for their success in mastering the material, uh, or should be. No one's more zealous to ensure that they're well equipped for the world. This is where I'll say that over many years of exposure to a wide variety of homeschools in multiple parts of this country where I've lived, I have seen some incredibly enthusiastic and motivated parents, and particularly moms. Moms with a love of learning. Moms zealous to infect their children with that love of learning. And Moms who learn themselves in order to teach well. And friends, children can thrive in that kind of an educational context. They can move forward at their own pace rather than the common denominator of the larger class. They can learn things thoroughly instead of being merely processed through the system. They can acquire and retain a love for learning. I don't think the evidence as a whole uh, is otherwise than that um, homeschoolers uh, have enjoyed those advantages educationally and their test scores and their college admittance and their career successes are increasingly testifying to that. When homeschooling is done by committed parents and well-ordered families, Homeschoolers enjoy some pretty undeniable educational advantages, particularly in those early and academically formative years. I think uh, for many parents, even non-Christian parents, uh, this was actually the primary reason for turning to homeschooling. They wanted educational advantages for their kids that they couldn't find in more conventional settings. Uh, in some cases, the educational advantages are for high-achieving kids who would otherwise be held back in a traditional classroom setting. In other cases, the educational advantages are for special needs kids who would otherwise be left behind in a traditional classroom setting. In still other cases, uh, there is a diversity of subjects or vocationally-minded opportunities that parents have in mind for their children which aren't compatible with the conventional school curriculum. I'm talking about visionary parents who are able to secure things for their children in the freedom that comes with the home school model that they would otherwise uh, not be able to have. Now, this third point uh, is the educational asset of homeschooling, and uh, it has been written on quite extensively. I don't think that I need here to elaborate further on it, uh, interested persons can consult the wealth of literature that's available. I'll just say uh, that I believe these educational advantages, like the spiritual advantages I've also spoken of, are particularly prominent 
in the early years of our children's education. Those are the years when the home as a school yields the greatest dividends to our children, in my judgment. I'll elaborate more on that, uh, Lord willing, in the next podcast. But let me wrap up my plug for the homeschool uh, now with a bold assessment of the homeschool movement. I've been a part of that movement for some decades now. I'm aware of the tremendous diversity of agendas within it. Um, I'm aware, like any popular movement, of the mixed fruit that has been born in families and in children. But, my friends, especially in light of the fact that the vast majority of homeschoolers in America are Christian parents, I want to say I regard the homeschool movement as nothing less than a revival of conscientious Christian parenting. I don't think that's saying it too strongly. I think Christian parents throughout our land in the wake of the decay of the 60s and the 70s woke up. I think they woke up to the fact that parents, not the government or the school board or even the church, are the ones ultimately responsible for their children's spiritual discipleship and their broader education. And they said, okay, we'll do it. And they started educating their children at home, I might add, at great expense, time and money. And I give praise to God for this homeschool phenomenon, particularly in America. I think it's been a kind of awakening uh, to our duties as parents. Again, I by no, no means equate the two, homeschooling with Christian parenting. But what I'm doing here is submitting to you that the homeschool movement has been a Christian parenting movement. So if your exposure to or your experience of homeschooling has been negative in one way or another, believe me, I can probably make some educated guesses why that may be so, and you have my sympathies. But consider whether the reasons I've given here for my own enthusiasm for the homeschool don't comport with your own convictions and your ambitions as a Christian parent, and consider giving the homeschool option another look. All these reflections lie behind my family's involvement here in the Charlotte area with Greyfriars Classical Tutorials, as well as Greyfriars Classical Academy, and particularly to Ashley's leadership in that tutorials program, which is wholly for the support of homeschool families. We've wanted to strengthen their hands as homeschooling parents. What they're doing is hard, but it is worth doing. Well, friends, next time uh, I'm going to have some reflections on what's necessary for doing homeschooling well, and I'll be drawing on some of my exposure to situations where this is not the case, and indeed, where some of these assets of the homeschool have and, and potentially can become uh, liabilities. But um, this will suffice for one podcast. Uh, I need to let you go now, especially uh, parents to your other parental duties. And uh, so I'll simply say, be encouraged. Once again, my friends, uh, Christ is risen.
You've been listening to Resurrection Life with Pastor Nathan Trice, a ministry of Resurrection Presbyterian Church in Matthews, North Carolina. If you've been blessed by today's podcast, consider sharing it with someone you know. And thank you for joining us.